The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Hi everyone, this is Jeremy Soule and you're listening to Nerdy Show. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom, from comics and video games to science and technology. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Cap. I'm Tony. I'm Aaron. And this is Chan. How's it going? It's Chan from Derpy Show. In case you don't listen to Derpy Show, obviously you ought to. And now you have a point of reference. It's a whole show about that one My Little Pony? Yes. Wow. It's a My Little Pony fan podcast, Derpy Show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say it has anything to do with My Little Pony. It's more about nothing. Ah. Thanks for clearing that up. I was confused. This episode, we're going to be talking about comic books, and uh, specifically the role-playing influence comic book Rat Queens. We're going to be talking with Curtis Weeb and Rock Upchurch, the artist-writer-creative team behind that book, which um, was one of my favorite books from last year, and uh, it's going strong. The uh, first collection comes out in early April. We'll link to where you can pick it up on this episode's page. Yeah, one of those $10 volume ones from Image. That's amazing. It's great that you can very quickly and very cheaply get into this awesome series right off the bat. Uh, it just came out not too long ago, you know, I guess what, six months ago, and you can already jump right in, catch up completely, and get right back into the story for 10 bucks. It's amazing. Yeah, it's also good for women's. It's inclusive. Yes, it is a book that's good for it's women. totally inclusive. inclusive, whether you are blonde, brunette, raven-haired uh, woman, curly, straight hair, whatever. It's for all women. <laughs> Elven, dwarven. Whether you have pointy ears. <laughs> if you're a smidgen. It's very inclusive. Yes, it is. It is It is a very inclusive book. I am typically a person that loves books that are, you know, have characters of color and all these great things. And I mentioned I had a first world problem with the series in the sense that it's so diverse and so awesome that there's no one I can cosplay. <laughs> that's could, not entirely true there's a bureaucrat somewhere that they're railing against i'm sure it, like rule 63 or something what was that yeah rule, rule yeah. 63 swap the gender yeah you could cosplay that dude Crossplay, man I, i'm gonna go ahead and say that rule 63 one of the few very empowering women books would be really <laughs> fucked up i don't know you you would be a pretty badass betty jan uh, I see myself more as the dwarf, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> you like to make everybody happy. What are you talking about? Hey, if Gr- he, if he wants to be a hipster dwarf, let him be a hipster dwarf. <laughs> that is fair. That I is am fair. also working on my Gary costume, so I can shut the fuck up whenever needed. <laughs> what are you going to cosplay at Megacon? I actually might try to get that Gary costume put together. He's a very small character in the background of uh, issues four and I think a little bit of five. And he's just kind of, they yell at him and they name him. And I think it'd be funny. To God be Gary. damn it, Gary. Why the hell not? We're talking about Rat Queens in honor of RPG Month. The All month long, we're doing RPG-related content. Earlier in the month, we talked to Chamber Band, a uh, folk rock group heavily influenced by Dungeons & Dragons. And so now we're going to talk to the team behind this comic that's heavily influenced by tabletop role-playing in general, possibly also specifically D&D, but we don't know that. Yet. Um, <laughs> and this week, this Saturday, March the 22nd, we're going to be doing a tabletop role-playing themed panel at Megacon. I'm going to oh, be there. Yeah. It's going to be great. Get the proton packs on your back. Yeah, we're going to be talking about potions, Pokeballs, and proton packs. And, all and 
other things that start with P? Yeah, like perhaps Paranoia XP and Peter oh. Panzerfaust. Peter Panzerfaust, the and puppies. completely unrelated, but the book that Curtis Weeb also writes. So yeah, no it's not related there. to that Saturday, but it is related to this podcast. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Channing, I was the uh, game master of our Paranoia XP one shot, and right now we are doing another support drive for you to choose the next role-playing system that we play for a one-shot. We've already recorded the Call of Cthulhu, which was the last requested one we did. That's going to be coming out in the coming months. So now we want to get a head start and pick out the next one. I am, of course, trying to get as many people to vote for Apocalypse World, which is the most badass role-playing game I've played in many, many years. I haven't uh, actually heard anything about this. Apocalypse World is a game written by Vincent Baker, guy who made uh, Dogs in the Vineyard, a couple other games. And it is a game that tells you that if you're playing a different RPG, you're probably doing it wrong. And this is a world that's everything's gone bad. Everything's gone wrong. It's the apocalypse. You are in a car with shoulder pads made out of tires and you fuck people and you get fucked and you try to die less than the other people. And it's really, really Is it all consensual or does that not matter after the apocalypse? Well, it, it. it, it comes and goes. I had a character that uh, that may have gotten pretty close to that non-consensual part. Uh, oddly enough, the game actually has rules for when you make love to another character. Uh, you, get, <laughs> you get you get special bonuses. Like if you're a character, say the faceless, think Jason Voorhees. If you have sex with another character at any point for the rest of the game, you can appear in the other person's scene for any reason. So it could be like they have sex with somebody else, and you appear outside the window crying in the rain <laughs> or your your innocent love is being raped in the street and you burst through a wall and rip the guy in half that is so realistic <laughs> it's exactly like my friday nights so i love it but do you just have like this alert for everybody you've ever been involved with you don't have, have you that ever had sex app? like what seriously it's it's weirder for me were you a virgin until you had sex with your wife maybe yeah you don't See? have anything to add to this conversation. I do so. Because <laughs> I get that. I just, I never realized what that alert meant. Really. It's like an Amber alert oh. with your dick. And is, it about is, it, is that for people. when you fuck girls named Amber? No, just anyone. Okay. Well, uh, Channing, dude, for the RPG support drive, we have these these character pitches. Everybody's suggesting different um, different characters and everything. You already have a um, a mouse guard character, Galen, who fights with a, with a, with a fork. Are you, are you going to write up a pitch for uh, for this game as well? I plan on writing up a pitch for this game as well. However, the w- tricky part about Apocalypse World is that if you walk into the game with any preconceived na- notions, you're doing it wrong. So to have a pitch to set up a character without building it with all the other characters is kind of counterintuitive to the game system. Just come in with your friends, you'll write it all together, and it will be better. I promise. So that's a lot like it's paranoia so in that respect. Yes, it, it kind of is. Like The writer writes games to find flaws in other games. And he felt that in a lot of other games, the problem is that I like I have my character and I want to do it this way. And I'm going to be happy only if I do it this way. But if you make the character at the same time of the world and everyone else, then everyone has the same amount of jeopardy, if that makes sense. Sure. If you're listening to this now, I've convinced Chan that he needs to write a pitch for not a character, but the entire system of Apocalypse World. And you can check that out along with all the character pitches for all the various different systems and so on on this episode's page. We love recording one-shot RPG episodes, and uh, so we're very excited to see what you guys pick, and always excited to have cool shit thrown at us like uh, Apocalypse World. I mean, you guys got to remember that both of the tabletop role-playing podcasts that Nerdy Show does started as one-shots. D&D was a lark. Pokeballs was a what-the-fuck. And then here we are. What? Soon it might be a LARP. You never know. <laughs> oh, no. Well, 
That sounds cool. You know, one there, of the there, characters might be there yeah, at the, the panel. There might be some some degree of LARPing at the Megacon panel. Spoiler. Let's just say that uh, the plan is for the fan-funded Jamela, the Dragonborn puppet, to make her debut at Megacon. Oh, and she's been gussying up. You have she's she's been stressing. It's weird. I didn't think they could molt skin flakes all over the place. Don't you have to like rub them down when that happens? Like snakes, you have to like rub them from the back to the front to get all the flakes off. It's dangerous with Jamela though, because she enjoys getting rubbed like that. But it's tricky because they say you never go front to back, right? Is that right? <laughs> you never go back to front. It's, it's back to front. It, we're Seriously, talking back about back to front. Seriously, we're talking about female hygiene. That is. Well, I, I don't know, Dragon. You never go be, back. It could be different. I mean, Jamela has a cloaca, like like any reptile. Right. Frankly, I have no idea how she wipes, but um, very carefully, I think is the answer. <laughs> Gotten a little bit off the rails here, but let's uh, let's do what we came here to do. Let's talk to Curtis Weeb and Rock Upchurch, the creative team behind Rat Queens. Holy God, this is going to be great. Hello, everyone. I'm Curtis. I write Rat Queens. This is Rock Upchurch. I'm the artist on Rat Queens. Yeah, it's, it's the tits. <laughs> there are lots of those yes rat queens i mean it's one of our favorite books that came out last year and it's a hell it's a lot of people's favorite books that started last year we want to talk to you about where it comes from your experiences playing tabletop or uh, or any kind of role playing i don't know man isn't that role playing stuff that's that's for like the the fucking nerds isn't it <laughs> yes some, it is for people like you and i some might say that <laughs> i like fucking nerds <laughs> yeah it's definitely influenced by by gaming it's weird because i was actually just talking to my fiance about this the other day like you wouldn't go around if you if you were hanging out with friends and you know you're like oh, i gotta roll I've, i gotta get together with some people we're we're doing something he wouldn't want to admit to the fact that you were going to play D D. <laughs> But now it's a different thing, man. Like, I feel totally cool just telling anybody it's a different climate. And um, that is good. That's all my thoughts on that. Yeah, global <laughs> warming me, up to role-playing games. For me, yeah. it's different. I mean, I never was on the tabletop side of it. I was more on a, the video game side of RPGs and stuff like MMOs and whatever fantasy comics I could find, or, you know, all that type of stuff. And, and literature, uh, you know, talking and things like that. I was never fortunate enough to get into the tabletop side of things. There's still time, Rock. There's still time. Yeah, uh, Curtis is trying to, uh, you know, get me into that. (laughs) (laughs) Just got to move out to Vancouver, man. That's all you got to do. Not too difficult. Just got to keep rolling those high persuasion rolls. (laughs) Well, Rock, I I also got my start with video game role playing. It wasn't until we started doing podcasts that I ever played a legit tabletop role playing game. What were some of the, the formative RPG video games in your past? Definitely Final Fantasy, uh, WoW, Guild Wars, things like that. When I started my career, I was doing concept art for uh, MMOs for this startup company out in Georgia. And that's, that was all we did. And they, they made us play all of the competitions, games, and, <laughs> and things like that. So we got around on a lot of the games. So, Rock, I heard you say WoW. And I have to ask, Horde or Alliance? <laughs> well, actually, I mean, I, I dabbled in both. I didn't stick to it like that because it was way too addictive. <laughs> you know when know to quit. That. That's important. I know that problem, Rock. Yeah, I have uh, no idea what you're talking about. I've only been playing for what <laughs> nine years now. My roommate in college, he was he was the worst case scenario. It was like he he would just stay locked in his room for days. I, he lost his job. It got it got crazy. That does sound ridiculous. like worst case scenario. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that was my example to kind of 
get out of it early. <laughs> Man, I knew I knew a guy that he well, it was a couple that I uh, used to hang out with, and she actually became a Warcraft widow, and they they fucking divorced over it. So, man. It's real. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> there are other options, people. You can create, like, joint accounts. You can you can share your gold. It's okay. I have to say, I, I've heard of WoW Widows and all this, but they, they demonize the tabletop, but I've never heard of any of that stuff coming up with tabletop. Yeah, generally not. I mean, I think you have to have a partner that's understanding of it. I mean, if, if you start dating somebody that's totally not in that world, it's pretty weird to them. But, I mean, at the same time, I've had friends that... It's surprising the amount of people that actually are really into it. Like I, this guy I went to high school with. When I first moved out, uh, moved out of my house. I moved in with him. He bought a house. And we all moved in together. And he was like the total typical jock. Like he played all the sports and, and never would have guessed him to be into that kind of thing. And I had a bunch of buddies over one night and we were playing and he was just kind of walking by and he's like, oh, you know, what the hell is this? And told him a bit about it. And he was like, I want in on the next game. And I just it blew my mind because it's just the last person you'd expect. So I think once people get over that initial like dissociation that they have with gaming, I think there's a lot of there that interests people, you know, just the, the storytelling aspect and, and the amount of fun and laughs that you have while doing it. That actually really surprises me is, is who it all actually appeals to. It's a lot broader than people would imagine. I mean, it allows you to do all that stupid kid jock stuff without actually putting your life in danger. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> you can eat all the Doritos you want, and there's no consequences other than heart failure. <laughs> that and the weird shakes that happen after you too many. <laughs> oh, the, the sweet Dorito shakes. <laughs> the sweet shakes. Curtis, Memories. what's your background with tabletop? Like, is there a system you gravitated towards growing up? It's kind of a weird start to that all because I grew up in a fairly conservative Christian house and, and D&D was something that, you know, if you had a book in there, it was basically a portal for the devil. That's witchcraft, man. Demons and devilry. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the funny thing is, is like if I think if any Christian parents ever actually saw their kids playing it, I think they'd be less concerned about demons and more concerned that they were going to get the shit beat out of them at school. You think that would be more of a concern. But for me, it was because we, we had a workaround, right? Like it wasn't Dungeons and Dragons. We actually started off with the Star Wars West End games version, the D6 version. All right. Uh, ah. Yeah, that was my start. So that was like the first system I played. Uh, my best friend's older brother, he was a, you know, a gamer. And so he got us into that. And then interestingly enough, it was that. And I don't know if you guys ever heard of this. It was the victory game system, the James Bond role playing game system. Whoa, nope. <laughs> That's news to me. Yeah, man. So it, it was this old 70s uh, game system that. I mean, not many people have heard of it. And it was only in so, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually think it was a British, a British role-playing game, to be honest with you. But it wasn't um, American. <laughs> yeah. That's the important part. <laughs> yeah, it probably wasn't American. There was definitely more intelligence to it than that. But anyway, so uh, <laughs> shots fired, shots fired. <laughs> anyway, so it was a James Bond, like you you rolled up like a secret agent. That was like my main exposure. And from there, once I moved out of home, then I, I had friends when I, I moved to a bigger city and they played D. D and, and so that's where I, you know, played all second edition and kind of just stuck with D&D up to like 3.5. And then years later, I managed to find the James Bond role playing game system online for sale for like 30 bucks in mint condition, like all the books, all the source materials. I bought it and I actually run that consistently now. I have my own. I've modified it to be like a Cowboy Bebop game. <laughs> and, wow. and so that it's my own homebrew thing that I do. And I use that rule system. And honestly, it's my hands down favorite rule system ever. I need that in my life. It's amazing. And it needs a bit of modification, which I've done, but it's it's really, really intuitive. And I've also played like World of Darkness stuff, Mage, and embarrassingly, I've played a bit of Vampire. Uh, 
Um, <laughs> for whatever reason, that feels like it's on a certain tier. Like D and D is like this one thing. Okay, I can admit to that. But once you start saying you you play vampires, uh, I don't know. It gets weird. I've got an equivalent for that. I've noticed this because vampire kind of goes with the LARP folks. And nerds will be like, okay, we're nerds, but those are LARPers. Kind of the same way music people go, you know, I'm into music, but those are the uh, the parrot heads. Yeah, that's true. I, I would say that's true. There's an, <laughs> there's an hierarchy that, that they definitely fall on the low end. That's for sure. It wow. is weird that nerds do enjoy their discrimination. A friend of mine was actually a bit un- unsolicited by a, a VTMer in a the parking lot for a movie theater once in high school. So, I mean, like, it, it, there's a reason that there's a solicited stigma Solicited, like, for sex? <laughs> unsolicited. Like, as Go in, on. like, random bite to the neck from a stranger. Oh, what? Seriously? <laughs> hey, man, you know what? That's a dark time in my life, and I don't like to talk about that. I've moved on from those days. <laughs> This is far from you guys' first rodeo in the comic scene. Curtis, you write Peter Panzerfaust, amazing World War II interpretation of Peter Pan. That's correct, yes. Peter Panzerfaust is something that I did. I think it's like almost, I think we're in two years now of that book. And then I've done about, I think before that, I did about four other image books as well. So this, I mean, Panzerfaust is the first one to, I guess, get some notoriety. And then Requiem's is, uh, I think, probably a lot bigger than that even. So yeah, it's been an interesting, interesting journey. I mean, we'll see how Rat Queen's Volume 1 sells, but man, Panzerfaust has gotten so much positive press and good reviews. I mean, I love that book. I did a video just on that book. I want to be Peter Panzerfaust. You see him in a room (laughs) and he has so much charisma and so much, you know, swagger. Yes. Yeah. You just want to hang out with him. You want to like, like, I would suck his dick. Like, seriously. (laughs) You'd be a lost boy. Like, yeah, seriously. That's, I don't know. Like, you know, it's it's really weird because like all those things you're saying about Peter, that's just totally me. So I don't know what you're saying. (laughs) I don't know if I want to be alone in a room with you anymore. Or do you? (laughs) No, I definitely don't. (laughs) You can put your pants back on now, Aaron. (laughs) So like, how long are you going to make us hold out in Peter Panzerfaust before you bring on um, Tinkerbell? Yeah, I get that question a lot. She's actually already been talked about a few times in the book. So it's a little bit more obscure. If you read like the first arc again, she's mentioned twice in it. He's looking for somebody in the first arc that we haven't really touched on again oh. since then. But Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I know oh, that. Shit. Oh, so, it makes so yeah. much sense now. I, duh, duh. I feel like a moron. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Peter wanted you to. Head games, man. Head games. No, that book has so much whimsy. It's just so like it just pulls you along, and and the whole trade's done before you even realize that you know any time has passed. It's so perfect. I love it. I sell the shit out of that book. Like anyone that if they're looking at fables and they're like, oh, you know, when's the next volume of fables out? It's like that's not the right question. The right <laughs> question is not when is the next volume of fables. The right question is. Do you have Peter Panzerfaust Volume One in stock? You know, and if they don't want to buy that, I give them that dollar for issue for free. I just like go home with this because you will love it. You don't know yet, but you will love this. So thank you for making that. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, it's weird to think that we're over halfway done now. I just um, wrapped writing issue eighteen about two weeks ago, and I'm starting on nineteen this week. So yeah, we're over over halfway. We're doing thirty issues. So wow, Rock, you did the art for um, Vessel. That's actually how I got to know him was I saw the art in Vessel, and I basically just waited until he was done that book before I scooped him up. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Which, speaking of the art, I got to give some props to you, Rock. The fight choreography that you've got in every issue of Rat Queens is stellar. I have dabbled in the arts of fantasy combat myself, and you you do this... (laughs) marvelous job of just bringing that uh, this brutality thank you yeah i mean it's a lot different than you know doing a 
a, a headshot or you know different talking scenes um, but i think because it's fantasy because it's that level of non-realism you can just go overboard with it and and get away with it so you know you just try to push it i, I pretty much think about it the same way i think about um other shots and, and regular scenes like just talking scenes or emotional scenes and then push it further push it to where you can't do and and if it was just a regular scene something out of kind of out of the box i think one of the things that i appreciate most about the violence is that some books they take the violence to such an extreme that i kind of get grossed out a little bit but in this book i can go oh that guy's head's in three pieces or he just ate a sword and it's not, it's exactly gruesome enough. And that's what I really like about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, don't, I definitely don't want to, I mean, sometimes we want to gross people out, but most of the time we just want it to look cool. You know, <laughs> how cool can this look without making somebody throw up? <laughs> you know. And this is something that we discussed when we first started doing the book, because for a while we were actually debating like what the level of the violence would be, if it was going to be like a PG-13 book or a rated R book. Jump to that R, huh? Yeah, well, it's weird because a lot of people don't know this about about Rat Queens. It originally was we were going to be doing a Kickstarter for it and we had everything lined up for it. We were going to we had all the incentives lined up. We were about a week away from launching it. And Riley Rosmo, who I've also worked with in the past, and he does a book now called Drumheller. We worked on books together in the past and I'd shown him the stuff. and He's like, oh, you should definitely pitch this to Image. I think they'll pick it up. And I was like, ah, I don't know. And and so I just kind of last minute did it. And yeah, sure enough, I picked it up. But the first of all, it was, yeah, so it was going to be a Kickstarter. And second of all, the title of the book used to be Pussy Rats before we changed yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Progressive. I like it. That wouldn't really sit on a comic book shelf too easily. It might diminish our sales a little bit. So we, we did a last minute change. Aaron but, stock it. Yeah, I'd stock that shit. <laughs> so yeah, so then, so then we, we obviously, once we started talking about the overall tone, because we were going to kickstart it, we were like, well, you know what? We want to make the comic exactly how we want to make it. We're not going to cheap out and on on the language and, and the violence from the moment i wrote the first like five pages i was already dropping f-bombs and we kind of just discussed it a little bit and decided that it felt really right for the characters to have full-on cussing and then when it came to the violence one of the things that i wanted to emulate which i always kind of find when i play my own role-playing games you know if you're playing DD and, and what would it actually look like if a cave troll you know hit you for all the hit points that you had that's what it would look like at the end of issue one. So it was just kind of a matter of bringing that reality, like what would actually happen if, yeah, you got hit by a giant creature and or what would this spell actually do to somebody if they got hit by a blast of electricity in the face? So we actually wanted to bring that element to it and not really shy away from it. And I got to say that it, just speaking to the, the feeling of tabletop being in the issue, there's a lot that I, I see in the characters and the way that they speak to each other in the way that they, they react to situations going on, that that's exactly what my friends and I would do. The word fucktarts is one that I have thrown around before. <laughs> Damn, I can't claim that was an original line then. <laughs> well, it's not like it was being recorded, so you can still take the credit from me. It's all right. Oh, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> you, you, you've got the trademark and copyright on that. But Are you talking about how like your wife won't have sex with you until you make her pop tarts? Yes, they, I, I call them fuck tarts, okay. and it's a different kind of icing. <laughs> oh, God. But it is your characterization is so goddamn good in this book, from, from Betty loving everybody and still being slightly disgusting, to the spell phone in the first issue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, or the, ru the rune berry, as I think I called it in the script. It's, it's genius. <laughs> we haven't actually put that in again, have we, Rock? 
No, nah, we haven't. We when we first started, we planned on a lot of little things like that. Well, when we were gonna do the original, like the Kickstarter version, we had a plan. It was gonna be like twenty or not even twenty page issues, and we were gonna do like five of them or something like that. And it wasn't really plot based as much as it was just kind of like each issue would be a standalone adventure kind of thing. Right. And we had that one idea for the the reality show where basically Betty would would sign up like it was like a reality show, but basically a group of people would just walk around with them while they were adventuring and then getting horribly killed because they were too close to them while they were fighting and they would sell tickets to that that was some one of the gags that we were going to do so there was a lot more modern kind of homages and twists that we were going to do but i think we've dialed that back a little bit there'll still be stuff like that in it like the the cell phone thing will still be kind of part of it and then musical instruments and stuff there'll still be like electric guitars and stuff like that because you use like magic to power them and stuff right yeah not electrical magical guitars (laughs) exactly (laughs) different sort of wireless where you just plug a wand into the into the input that's basically yes yes that's basically if you look at the cover for issue six you'll see kind of how we we'd actually use that for another series that we had worked on called goblinettes that never really went anywhere but (laughs) rackets came out of that why did you choose to do all women's? Is it just because of Tumblr and, and inclusion? <laughs> Are you going to call me a feminazi next? Please, go ahead. No, like, I would ask you if you're a feminazi. This is an interview. This is it's not a hostile, you know, this isn't the O'Reilly factor. Tumblr came later. We didn't, Tumblr was not even on the radar that, when we started. But that issue five with all, the, like, the little costume cosplay stuff with Tumblr, that was awesome. I, I want to get some of that lip gloss. I mean, that looked cool. You'd rock. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you go ahead and talk about that a bit, Rock, about the Tumblr crowd. <laughs> um, the Tumblr crowd has been amazing. Like I said, it came along later. I mean, when we first started, it was, you know, we, we just did the book we wanted to do. And, and, and still, that's what we do. But it's like it just caught on like wildfire on, on Tumblr. And the fandom kind of went crazy. Um, but I guess it was because, I mean, it was, of course, it was extremely popular with the women on Tumblr. And so every post was panels from the book or outfits that they created to match the the character designs and it was overwhelming it came out of nowhere so fast and so (laughs) furious (laughs) i know we had our fan base like we had kind of a medium fan base as far as like numbers were concerned with the first four issues but it felt like with issue five suddenly something just popped and now it seems like everyone's talking about it and for emerald city comic-con we're doing um like a rat queen's social club live it's just like an after party event and i was like when i booked the venue i was like i don't know we might get like 30 people and i put up tickets for sale and some of them were 50 bucks we've almost sold out of them and i i think <laughs> we're actually going to sell the place out and that that's weird yeah. to me awesome. <laughs> you say weird i think you mean incredible <laughs> yeah, yeah it definitely it is. is awesome i mean it just wasn't ever expected that it would go this way and, and definitely with this book in particular I, I feel like i've found kind of a new way of of gaining audience and that's a letting your fans do a lot of the the work for you and and, <laughs> right. and they seem more than willing to do it you know there's like this group of people it's like a brotherhood or sisterhood that they're like every time they recruit somebody they're into the cult of rat queens yeah it's like this great I, celebration I see that picture they all drink of the, the riveter saying we can do it you know we can sell out that venue for <laughs> you at <laughs> uh speaking of that that event at the Raygun lounge in, in seattle on march 29th will if there's still tickets left we'll link to where you can go to that event on this episode's page yeah it's pretty much sold out so we're happy with <laughs> that but there's a few tickets left i think it speaks to how accessible your book really is like I, one of the things i think is so fantastic is I shared it with uh, a couple of the ladies from my other show in the network, and from the time they got to the spell phone, moving on from there, they read through the first four issues back to back to back to back to back to back. 
just absolutely loved it. I, I see you guys have your social clubs on Facebook and everyone gathers, everyone dresses up. Yeah. I, it's just a really accessible book and you guys have been really accessible to the fans. It's working. It's really awesome and it's really fun. I like that. Oh, we love it. We love, first of all, we love our fans. And so, of course, in turn, we love interacting with them. It's, it's fun. It's like a, I mean, it is a social club. It's, it's turned into something bigger than we ever really thought was going to have, especially with the fans. I mean, it's become this relationship like a like a close-knit family with all of these followers and fans, and it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I got to give a, actually a little shout-out to a friend of the show, Miss B.B. Hart, did uh, some incredible Hannah cosplay that we will link to on this episode's page as well. Yeah. She kind of nailed it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she, Not just uh, kind of. She came off the page. Yeah, she, <laughs> she, she became Hannah. Amazing. Yeah, she's amazing. And there's not really any way you can, I mean, you see people cosplaying and they're wearing the costume, but it's, it's also another strange thing to see people embody the character right. as like, as opposed to just the costume. And, right. and it's, it's really something else. <laughs> That's the thing with her. She is Anna. Yeah. <laughs> like, she didn't just put on a costume. She really is Anna. I'm not even going to lie. I'm a little bit intimidated to meet her in person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't you wait. should be. You absolutely should be. <laughs> Okay, wait. How are we gonna segue into the the Baldwin homophobic stuff? <laughs> I like, guess I, we I've just been did, Aaron. To, but I don't know how to do it. <laughs> there is no segue. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. Yeah, that was wasn't that interesting. Uh, well, a, a short summary for fans: uh, the guy who played Jane on Firefly said some homophobic stuff, and there were some words on Twitter. But words by by Weeb. I yeah. mean, like he yes. didn't have to stand up for that, and he did. It was awesome. Like oh, I liked it. Like we made a we made a little comic strip about it. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was sweet. I dug that a lot. I don't know. It just um, I was just bored on a <laughs> on a Friday. That's how all Twitter and... wars start. Is that just Canada or? or... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nah, it's more like procrastinating when you know I have two different comic series I'm supposed to be writing and supposed to be packing to move. I just really was not wanting to do any of those things. So I go on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of said it offhandedly. I didn't think it was going to go anywhere that, you know, I didn't appreciate his comments. And then it kind of turned into a thing for a little bit. We were just back and forthing. And then, and then he started calling me fat out of nowhere. (laughs) And then, and then he brought on this other guy, this other guy from that show justified. And he started just like, it was, it was so bizarre. And I actually left that whole Twitter conversation about 20 minutes after it started. But then there was like a six hour long Twitter war with a whole bunch of people, and I just don't even know what all happened. I, you loosed your minions without meaning to. Yeah, I basically like when I when he started calling me fat, I was just like the transition was so. If we had kind of worked around to the fact that maybe I eat too much pizza, I'd understand. But <laughs> it was just out of the blue, and yeah, yeah. No, and so it's that's obvious. Why Gays shouldn't be married because you're fat. I mean, that's <laughs> I, I follow that logic train. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, but if that's the case, then I will pay to get you on whatever diet we need to to get the marriage okay because we'll, we'll, we'll work on this together it's, it's actually not even hinged on obesity in general it's just on mine so we- <laughs> jesus anyway that's what happened it wasn't it, and then i think actually by the end of the night interestingly enough the reason i stopped was i was running my uh cowboy bebop role-playing game with some buddies and we got fucking wasted and i was really drunk at the end of the night and then i basically just uh tweeted at him like you know i i enjoyed our battle tonight and then the weird thing was he started following me on twitter even though i unfollowed him so <laughs> i guess and, honor between duelists no nah, I, I don't even 
See you, space cowboy. Why? <laughs> he just has a thing for overweight dudes from Canada. I guess. He's got an yeah, agenda. You did get a shout out on the Huffing Post, so that's something, right? It did make news. Yeah, it was, it was news. Yeah, that's what passes as news? <laughs> I don't know. It was all a bit silly. But anyway, it was, it was a good time. We all had a good laugh about it, so it was worth it in the end, right? If he kills me, that's my legacy, I guess. <laughs> All right, so it's about time we cut to a track. This is from a uh, 2010 compilation album by Hipster Please called 20-Sided Rhymes. It's a fun track about what it means to be the healer in a role-playing group. This is essentially everybody's bitch. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe we're like, we're like VMAC from Dungeons & Doritos who, he, you know, he heals and he's, he's a very good um, on-the-field healer. He is, and you wind up resenting literally everybody in the group. He doesn't seem resentful. Not all the time, no. <laughs> anyway, this is the Healer song by Nate Trier. You all go on up ahead. I'll just wait here. Just be sure to let me know when the coast is clear. Yeah. 
go on up ahead. I'll just wait here. Right now, I want to do a uh, a nerdy show microsode. Microsodes are where our fans give us a topic to discuss for about fifteen minutes, and uh, we well we talk about that topic and go nuts and take it wherever it goes. Fu Manchu Chu wanted us to talk about the D and D character creation process. Maybe he means Dungeons and Dragons. Maybe he means our tabletop role playing show Dungeons and Doritos. I'm not really sure. But we'll just say, how about the role-playing game character creation process and go from there so we can talk about um, characters we've created, the mindset of what you're going into, and then, Rock, in your case, if you were going to play a fantasy role-playing game, what kind of character would you create? <laughs> Bring it into this kicking and screaming, sir. You can't, you can't hide the MMOs forever. <laughs> so, okay, I, I'm starting this off. I can lead it off, man. You, you're, you're a noob to this whole thing. So, um... <laughs> man, you know, the, the truth is... I cannot remember the last time I've actually played D&D as a player. The problem is, is that what happens if I'm playing a character is that I start taking over the story and running it myself. So I'm not the best player. But if I do make a character, generally I come up with a concept first before I start doing any statting or anything like that. A lot of people will, they're kind of like munchkins, they'll, they'll make their character the best that's possible and then slap a name on it. Not really my cup of tea. I like to you know, come up with an interesting character. The same thing with even running my own games. For any games I run, I never stat out any characters ever or like NPCs or anything like that. I just create the character and generally just make up everything else on the fly. So, I mean, obviously, that's a priority for me is the actual character that's going to be in the game as opposed to the real system. Real systems are always kind of in the way of what I want to do anyway. <laughs> it's funny because just based on my experience with, with tabletopping, I got into it fairly late in the game, but the dungeon master who brought me into it was a very stat-focused type of person. And I don't know if you've ever had to deal with one of those type of people as a dungeon master, but all of a sudden, the character creation becomes a... It's not a learning curve so much as it is Everest, and you are yeah. given a, a sheet and a number two pencil to help <clears throat> climb it. Yeah, but the best thing about those people is that then they're a slave to the rules and they're easily killed. You'd think that, because the same thing happened to my character. As a person who started D&D, I went through four or five characters before I had one that lasted more than one session. Because wow. when you're thrown into it, it's like, oh, we're going to go explore the Sunless Citadel. Oh, look, you didn't check for traps. Congratulations. You have met some spikes. Rock, when, when you're doing, say, any kind of MMO, I mean, w w what do you gravitate towards? Fighters. I've never been into spells and all of that other nonsense. I just want to fight. I just want to <laughs> kill things. That's, that's it. If it progresses the story, fine. If not, who cares? It's bloodshed, and I'm fine That's with that. That's the Philly in you coming out, man. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. It might be. Because <laughs> let's be real, that's not far from your, from your life in the past. When you're a rough and tumble <laughs> Philly gangster. It's pretty close. I don't know about Philly gangster, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, that might have something to do with my preference. You know, basically warriors, and I don't know, I'm, I'm so visual that it'll probably be whatever looks the best. <laughs> and then go with that. Okay, let's redirect that then to a theoretical fantasy role-playing game. So you're a fighter, and you want to be the most awesome-looking character. What species of character are you? I would say I like the look of elves. I always like the look of dark elves. No, they probably wouldn't be the best fighters, but I always like the look of them. I don't know. Dritz had some, some pretty <laughs> sick moves. Two swords... He might not know who that is. That's. It sounds like Ma'alu, though. He even had a sick mullet for a while in, in the late 80s, early 90s. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm into that. <laughs> 
Actually, Rep, that's one thing we haven't put in our comic yet is, is a dude with a mullet. Yeah, you're right. Well, Sounds Hannah like... kind of has a mullet situation. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Pretty close. Actually, it came up one time on Twitter that Billy Ray Cyrus was the uh, inspiration for Hannah's hairdo. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I forgot about that. So, you know, you never know. so yeah, Dark Elf with a mullet is what I'm, is what I'm going with. <laughs> All right. That sounds pretty sweet. Okay. Weapon of choice. <laughs> you a blade man? Do you prefer hammers? Definitely blades. I like hammers. I don't know. Maybe hammers. I'm going to say hammers. I like to smash things. And my first comic was Thor's, so I'm going to say hammers. Okay, well, the choice is made. If Curtis ever gets you in front of a table with a pen and paper, this is what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. I'm ready. <laughs> Two hammers and a mullet. <laughs> that sounds like a spinoff series for us as well. <laughs> <laughs> Two hammers and a mullet. This fall from Image. <laughs> Let's <Yeah>. do it. <laughs> now, Aaron, um, I don't think we've ever talked about tabletop. You and I have you ever have you ever played? No, no. Um, when I was in eighth grade. Like I had, you know, just friends that were nerds and those friends um, all played Robotech role playing game at, at lunchtime. And, you know, I knew that they had no hope of ever getting laid. So like I thought I could get laid. So instead of playing with them, like at lunchtime when they played the game, like I wouldn't sit with them. I, I would like try to be cool and try to like sit with girls and stuff. And it, it never worked. It never worked. But that set me on a path of never playing role playing games. I still read comic books, obviously, and, you know, hung out with the kids other than lunchtime. But that's when they played role playing. And so I never did. And the one time I tried. It seemed like a way to trick people into doing recreational math, which had, <laughs> I had no interest in that. Like there was numbers and whatnot. I'm like, I am not going to fall for this. I am not going to do math recreationally. But like, long story short, I did not get laid until high school. So I should have just played role playing games. Should have. <laughs> and then maybe you'd do better with numbers too. Maybe. <laughs> Got a group of friends that uh, I was. I hung out with their older brother, and so they were like in high school at the time. And one of them had a night shift at a subway, and because there was no one ever there, they would actually go to the subway, and he would just like leave the station, and they would just game all night long in the subway. I'm like, that's that's brave. I don't think I could ever do it publicly. <laughs> See, that's I think that's the thing with me. Like, I'm, I grew up in North Philly. Like, there's not a lot of tabletop gamers in <laughs> North Philly. <laughs> so you know i was i didn't have a chance to be exposed to it i was like the nerdiest kid but i wasn't i mean even still like it was like you were just born hard and you grew up hard and then, <laughs> <laughs> that was it i mean but I, I guess for me walking around with like a briefcase full of comics and sketch pads i was as nerdy as it got but then at the same time everybody asked me to draw everything so i guess it was more celebrated than looked down on that wouldn't have stopped had you started tabletop role-playing, by the way. You just suddenly become the, the window through which every character comes to life. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I think you're speaking from a little bit of experience there, Tony. I might be. I might be. I still owe my brother a couple of drawings. In fact, he, he yells at me every once in a while. <laughs> you drew my character jerking off. I did do that, yes, because that's what you do with the power ring, the guy Gardner. Because you have sexual feelings for guy Gardner. I, I don't like mustaches. I, I like his. I don't think I saw that. When, when did that happen? It happened. Um. <laughs> it, was a, it was a quiet moment between them two that involved no role-playing games whatsoever. <laughs> it was a little weird. Again, your pants were off, Aaron, which made it different. I didn't like it. I see. I see it now. Tony Tony showed it to me on his phone. Okay, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, link to that. Link to that. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, you'll have to send me that photo. <laughs> for that for personal face. reasons. Cat, <laughs> put your uh, shirt well, back on. Well, Aaron, if, uh, if you were to jump in, tabletop role-playing, fantasy specifically... What kind of character would you play? What race? What weapons? Well, I mean, honestly, 
I'd want to be a feminazi, honestly. Like, that's what I'd want to be. Like, I wanted to be a female that I just wanted to, like, cut off dicks. I just want to cut off dicks all day. And I want to wear dicks like a necklace. So, like you know? a Frank Miller character. Like a necklace of dicks. That's what I'd want to do. So, <laughs> I'd dickless. want some kind of uh, hatchet, you know? And I would say, like, I'd have an axe, but your dick is so small that I, need, I can do it with a hatchet. And that's what I would do. I'd be a feminazi with a hatchet, and I would cut off dicks, and I would wear them as a necklace. That's I don't powerful. think I ever want to play a role-playing game with you. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way. <laughs> you both are playing this very safe. <laughs> I don't know. Your your hammer guy might be able to take him, Rock. I'm just saying. I, well, I would rather not. I would rather not be involved at all. <laughs> well, I mean, hammers are for nutsacks, right? Jesus, man. <laughs> so, that, so what I'm hearing is that the two of you would team up. You taking the shaft. Yeah. And rock taking the rocks. Oh man! I do not. This, want to is, this, is, this is this is way too well thought out. I'm just gonna say that <laughs> much. Mm, you're not making any friends with that one, Aaron. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'd play with you from a distance. <laughs> well, Fu Manchu, if you are in fact talking about the Dungeons and Doritos character creation process, I can definitely direct you to I believe it's the second part of our voice actor special where we did a lot of talk about. Uh, creating our characters initially but for the sake of this microsode when i created my character jamella for dungeons and doritos i was the first character of any role-playing system i ever created and uh it was kind of a means to an end everybody else was playing male characters so i played a female character everybody else was playing relatively human-shaped characters so i played a dragonborn and uh i left a lot of my stats and so on in the hands of the game master because i didn't know what i was doing the character itself she evolved from the experiences from playing off of the stats i had and that's kind of how it's gone with a lot of subsequent things my character in pokeballs of steelix and my, and my character in uh paranoia xp and, and all, all this other stuff is a lot of off-the-cuff improvisational intuition i play it for the role playing itself and i i'd like to do a game where i actually came in with a character preconceived but i really think that i might be investing too much in it it could actually screw up the game if i have too many you know feelings Especially if with your, your history of roles, they die quickly. No one's ever died. Close to. It's just been very tragic. <laughs> Have you guys ever played Fiasco? Well, we're in the midst of a role-playing support drive where our listeners choose what the next system we're going to be doing a one-off episode for is, and Fiasco is in the running. It's awesome. I don't think any of us here have ever played it, but um, there are some among our number, but I'm, I'm, I'm really rooting for that one. It seems awesome. It's something that I actually I picked up. Uh, do you guys ever watch it? I'm sure you watched the Will Wheaton's Tabletop show. Yeah, I know he's done. A, he did some like a three-parter on it or something like that. Yeah, and it was it was really great. And it, I actually uh, hang out with a lot of like I live here in Vancouver, and there's a lot of uh, image creators that live in this area. And then a friend of mine uh, who went to uh, Vancouver Film School for the writing program, so like a whole bunch of writers, and we actually get together and we play that, and it's it's awesome. It you come to the table with zero character ideas, and the character generation happens as you go around the table. And you slowly define your characters through like a set of dice choices and stuff, and by the end, you all have this interconnected relationship. And like Coen Brothers films. And basically, every time I play my characters, I always get hor horribly killed, but it's always an <laughs> awesome time. I definitely recommend if, if you don't play it on the show, give it a go outside because it's, it's one of my favorites. Like, that's the one that I would always go to play if I can, if we can get the right amount of people together. Sounds awesome. I'm seriously chomping at the bit for that one. Yeah, it's great. You would enjoy it. I promise you. And Tony, you were talking about previous experiences creating characters. Mm -hmm. I don't know about anything that hasn't happened on the microphone for Nerdy Show. So 
Well, before I moved down here to Florida, I played a number of different D&D games. Uh And the first couple of characters that I gravitated toward dwarves. And it really, it always went the the same way. You're so so tall, though. Are you trying (laughs) to just like live how the other half live? I don't understand. (laughs) A little bit. There's just something about something that is short, stocky, and built like a boulder. That's the opposite of you. It is. It you is. look like a, a male olive oil, like Rule 63 olive oil. It's you. <laughs> Pretty much every single one of my characters either never got anywhere or died. I have learned a number of different things about DMs and the role that they play, not only in the character creation, but in the world you're playing. Because a DM should be there to kind of usher the story along and to give you things to do. And the DMs I would play with were hard asses. You go to sleep with your armor on and he's like, so you want to go to sleep? It's like, yeah, no, I've never played before. I don't know that if you go to sleep with your armor on, it winds up giving you a number of different penalties the next day. I didn't know that either. <laughs> yes, it turns what? out that happens. So you say, I go to sleep, and unless you, you told this guy everything you were doing, you went to sleep with your armor on without a tent, and you essentially got it raped by wolves every night. Well, I mean, one half of it sounds pretty good, but the other half, not so good. Now, no. I mean, I, he just sounds like a dick. Your, your, your DM just sounds like a dick bag. <clears throat> he is. He was. It's a testament to the fun of creating a character and create, buying into this world that I kept coming back to it. Because there is something magical about... It's a testament that you didn't have any other friends. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Be that as it may. I could have played with myself. It's all right. I do enough voices, I could have run an entire campaign just by isn't name. LARPing, sir. <laughs> it is if you put a puppet on it. Just nursing a schizophrenia. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't really know what you're what you're looking for outside of just, I, I had fun with it. I was it just, was just curious. No, nah, it, it was... I think we got what we were looking for. The fact that I'm a, I'm a lonely moron. Whee! <laughs> None of this is attracting me to tabletop. Yeah, you know, I just want to... No, no, no. Let me, let me, let me rephrase it. Then, it's all right. about cool adults doing this stuff <laughs> now. We're all, a, but we're all, all drinking yeah, and yeah. screwing. It's great. We're already married now. <laughs> with a poor DM, your character will do that. It will die on the vine. But with somebody who will actually usher you and encourage entertaining situations and let you do whatever the hell you want to do, it's fun. It's, it's essentially the same thing as putting art on a page. You're creating something that you couldn't otherwise do. You're seeing something in your head and bringing it to life. And then on the flip side of that, you have the dice that add this element of chaos where your character might be suave and awesome until you roll a one, in which right. case he's an idiot. And then you still have to play that, which is one of the integral parts of creating a character and kind of dealing with the consequences of shitty roles. Yeah, like the way I run games when it comes to that kind of thing is the story always comes first over the dice roll. And, you know, if a really stupid, stupid choice combined with a bad dice roll, that will usually end in in tragedy. But if they're having a great time, if they're furthering the story and they just get a really bad roll that ends in their character's death, I'll just fudge it and let them live. I'm pretty easy that way. I always like to move the story forward and there's still the chance the character will, you know, can die. But not because of just a really bad run of luck. You know, I'd rather prefer they die because of their own stupidity when it comes to bad choices. Oh, we really just had like the fucking smorgasbord of all of that in Pokeballs of Steelix. Bad decisions and bad rolls. <laughs> That's why nothing ever happens in that show. Good thing it's entertaining. <laughs> One last question down this line of, uh, this line of inquiry. The uh, Cowboy Bebop game, Are you're the game master of it? You have a character in it? No, yeah, I just, I run it. So it's it's like, Cowboy Bebop, it's that kind of universe that's within our solar system, no alien races, it's science fiction, but they still use a lot of the tech that we do now with like flourishes of cyberpunk in it. So it is kind of based on that, but it's a lot of my own stuff as well. 
Uh, right now, the group is we start off. If you've ever watched Cowboy Bebop, there's like that city of Tijuana on Mars. That's essentially where they are, but they're kind of two beat officers that are trying to bring down this like triad. So it's like a, a kind of a cop buddy story, and it, it's kind of escalated into something else. Um, I don't ever ever seriously plan anything for it, and the worst part is is that it's kind of a tradition that we barely remember anything by the end of the night. So half the stuff that happens we don't remember and so we just kind of reset back to the point we you know we have memory to so it's it's pretty fun but i try to keep continuity it's funny i have this document that i take notes on like every single game and it's basically a one sheet where i have a before i started i wrote out a whole bunch of names for characters just so i'd have a reference for them so i wouldn't have to make them up on the fly and had did a little bit of kind of story prep for it not a lot but every time i take notes we've played probably about eight sessions and that document has only really added about two sentences because every single time I take a shitload of notes, I forget to save it in a drunken stupor. <laughs> and, and basically we just rename all the characters that I forgot that I named previously. It's kind of a nightmare, but we, we have a lot of fun with it. Well, it's a land of outlaws. They're probably changing their names to protect themselves from the law. Exactly. Thanks for covering up for me. I appreciate that. <laughs> you get I a no prize, back. Tony. Woo! <laughs> that sounds like a, a comic I'd want to read. Like I'm drawing the characters right now, just premiering it. <laughs> Uh, there was something that I talked uh, about a friend with like a few years ago, because I've been running this kind of version of Cowboy Bebop for a while, and there's been a whole bunch of different stories that have come out of it, but uh, it's something that I've thought about. I mean, the reality is a lot of my games influence what happens in, especially in Rat Queens, you know, there's, there's specific scenes where they're definitely homages to previous games that I've played, like the, the sequence when Sawyer and Betty they've caught Bernadette or whatever and then you know her her store gets smashed or whatever that scene where Betty says kind of she shushes him says you know secrets uh-huh. uh, that was like that was right, ripped right from one of my campaigns which was called <laughs> secrets and it was this ongoing joke and then the scene at the very end of issue one where the giant troll smashes that uh, that guy to oblivion that was actually right out of a campaign where I had a munchkin player who basically min max the character to death and i had enough of his shit and so i had a cave troll come out of nowhere like literally out of nowhere and just smash him into oblivion <laughs> uh, perfect so yeah i mean there's a lot of a <laughs> lot of little in jokes that i've put in there that have been funny moments from like my gaming memories and stuff like that but i mean that's what's, what's good about rat queens is that i can just use some of those like ideas from stories a long time ago that were really funny and and kind of do a new spin on them for the comic with these characters yeah, and that's got to be why it feels so organic and there's so much life and fun in it. Yeah, well, that's what I wanted to do. And what Rock and I talked about was a lot of fantasy comics that I've read, they seem to get caught up in the ye old speak. And, 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 you know, and I think Saga had, had done something really excellent with science fiction is that our science fantasy, I guess you would call it. But they talk like we do, which made it a lot more relatable. And that's was a big thing for us was to make these characters relatable. So they, they talk like us and to embody that feeling of when you're sitting around a gaming table with your buddies, the things that the rat queens would say would be things that you would say in that situation. And to, to kind of keep that levity. And that's something that's been important to us, I think pretty much from the beginning. Definitely. I mean, it was always just, you know, we love fantasy. And so what kind of fantasy world would we create? What kind of fantasy world would we want to, live in and so that's that's what we set out to do and to create a world with a lot of garys in it <laughs> <laughs> touching on the garys i don't remember did the brother ponies the pony brothers did they did they bite it in the first issue somewhere between the first and second issue <laughs> yeah they're, they're, they're dead <laughs> that's unfortunate and were they were they supposed to be bronies yeah 
and, and what's funny is uh when Kurt sent me the script, I didn't. I had never heard of a brony, <laughs> and it, it was like it was the it was you know the script was describing you know what it was. And I'm like, what? That's a thing. That's that's a real thing. <laughs> I was uh, yeah, I was kind of shocked by that one. Um, so I was happy to kill them. Um, <laughs> but uh, they actually they were all supposed to die originally. Every group except the Peaches, I think, was supposed to die. Yeah. <laughs> the, the fans actually saved the Daves. Yeah. <laughs> there was people like hashtagging on Twitter, Team 4 Daves, and yeah. uh, people really seemed to like them. So I was in the process of like, we were still working on issue two, I think, at that point. And no, actually, yeah, yeah, we were on issue two because they came back in that scene. And I was like, man, we got to keep these guys because I think they could be fun long term characters. And we have this idea that whenever one of them bites the dust, they put up an advertisement that says looking for a new yeah. Dave <laughs> can only be part of the four Daves. If you're a Dave. So I am glad they stuck around because in issue five, the, the panel of ogre Dave smiling after he he's told that he's going to get fucked is <laughs> one of my favorite panels of all time. Just that beard and the two little, the little twinge of his cheeks looking so happy. <laughs> little, little bluebirds. Just, you can tell that this is, this is a moment for this gentleman. <laughs> that's probably the face that rock would have if that situation arose <laughs> were, were you looking in the mirror a bit rock to, to get that that uh, that specific smile I mean, yeah but not for that reason <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. no i actually keep a mirror next to me at all times narcissism no. or artistic reference oh both a bit of both <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a beautiful man i can admit that um but no i mean you know I, I like to take my expressions and then just exaggerate them or the opposite whatever i need to do <laughs> dudes thank you so much for being on the show if you want to check out rat queens the first collection's coming out in early april like we said visit these guys at emerald city comic-con you got any other stuff coming up yeah we're doing a new york event may 9th mm -hmm. i think we're going to be doing a, uh, actually with B.B. Hart that you mentioned, we're going to be doing a kind of burlesque Rat Queens launch party for the new arc for issue six. Yes. So, wow. Yeah. Where? When the details come out for that, then we'll, we'll post that everywhere. That's going to be a good one. <laughs> that, that's awesome. <laughs> that's really awesome. Yeah. As you can hear, we, we lost Channing part of the way through there, and unfortunately, he's not coming back. But hey, he's always on Derpy Show, so <laughs> if you're missing Channing, you can find him there. Did his Skype derp out on him? <laughs> so, Rat Queens is influenced by tabletop role-playing. I'd say it's the best comic book that I know of that's got a tabletop role-playing influence, but it, there are others. Yeah, there's uh, Zub's Skull Kickers, which has, I know, at least very great artwork. I haven't had a chance to read too much of it, unfortunately. I see it around, though, on the internets, and it looks fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it it's um, basically humor-based. It's not much, um, you know, like, ongoing plot, whatnot, but... Um, I've liked some of the humor, especially when they kept renaming it with uh, the sarcasm of different um, adjectives that Marvel uses with their new number one. Yeah, that was very fun. That volume where each issue had a different title was like the covers were the hilarious. Savage Skull Kickers. You know, yeah. The Uncanny Skull Kickers. That was funny. That was cool. But um, sharp wit. Rat Queens is the best thing to come out that is influenced by role playing games. Because, I mean, when, when you do a book that is um, an adaptation, like Dungeons and Dragons or, or the Pathfinder series, or, you know, the Legend of Drizzt, uh, yeah. you know, Forgotten Realms, gotcha. you know, Best Forgotten Realms or whatever. But um, <laughs> uh, I'm just saying that 
Rat Queens is original, you know, like it's not there's no other source. That's that the going best back thing to. about comics is the original material that it makes. And this is the best original material influenced by role-playing games that comics has to offer. So that's good stuff. It is. It is excellent stuff. So hooray Rat Queens for being the, the king of the but, heat. But if you're obsessed with magic or Dungeons and Dragons That's or right. Forgotten there Magic Realms, the Gathering? There's a yeah, magic if you're the obsessed with that, too. there are comics that are additive to that and will add to your obsession. But Rat Queens, if you are just interested in role-playing games, Rat and Queens fantasy, is original yeah. content that will strike your fancy. And disgust you a little bit with its vulgar content and gratuitous scenes of violence. If you're playing role-playing games, you already like that stuff, though. You do. Because, I mean, it can happen. The roll of the dice. Da-da-da-da. All right, so if you want to choose what system we play in the next RPG one-shot, whether it's a fiasco, as, uh, as Curtis Weeb suggested, or Apocalypse World, which, by the time you're listening to this, I've already added to our roster, then it is your solemn duty to support Nerdy Show because you've listened to this episode and enjoyed it. Every dollar counts, and we're entirely fan-supported. If you want a microsode like the one that Fu Man Choo Choo got, where we talk to the guys about the character creation process, well, you can make us talk about whatever you want, because at every $100 mark, $100, $200, $300, that is your chance. If you're the one who pushes us over that limit... We become your puppets. Yes. We will dance to the strings you pull. We do as you say. Now it's time for some shout-outs and a bit of an update as to what Nerdy Show's got going on. As we said earlier in the episode, we're going to be at Megacon. We're going to have a booth. You can find us in the independent press section. We'll be there all weekend long. And then at 5 p.m. on Saturday, we're doing our Potions, Proton Packs, and Pokeballs Adventures in Tabletop RPG podcasting panel. So if you're in Orlando, come out this Saturday. Also at Megacon, we'll be debuting a limited-run preview of the first eight pages of our own RPG comic, Dungeons & Doritos. It's been a long time since issue one came out, written by our dearly departed Triforce Mike Pandel. But the four-part series is still continuing, and Tony and I are hard at work. So we're putting out a special eight-page preview that you can pick up at Megacon. Whether there'll be any left over, we can't say. But if there are, stay tuned to where you can find out how to get yours, and the full issue will be coming out later this year. Our RPG support drive is ongoing and lasts all March long. Currently, Star Wreck, the Star Trek parody RPG, is in the lead with $150. But other systems have been taking leaps and bounds to chase after it. Imred Jonathan from Wicked Anime's pitch for a character for Star Wreck, and he said, Damn, man, robot hands? Put it all on Star Wreck and let it roll. Benjamin Britt also is on Team Star Wreck. He said, A fiver for Star Wreck to boldly go where we have no business going except when we are on a power high. In second place is Shadowrun. That's thanks to Josh Thompson, who said, Shadowrun for the next RPG one shot episode, and Flame On is great. Pestilence, who said, Stupidly forgot to donate to last month, so here's another $5 to compensate. Put it all on Shadowrun. I need more Brandon, please. Go Grundletaint! Grundletaint being the character that Brandon has pitched should Shadowrun win the contest. You can read more about him in the links to this episode. Red Ion donated to Shadowrun, too. He said, longtime listener, first-time supporter. Here's a little something as thanks for providing so many years of great entertainment. I'd like the donation to go towards Shadowrun. I picked up Shadowrun Returns not too long ago and loved it. I've been itching to see the tabletop played since the last RPG drive, and I thought a little boost to close the gap was in order. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe my donation earned me a microsode. I'd like you guys to talk about Fallout, especially since Gamworld ain't getting any love this time around. And so he did, and so we shall. And finally, Tolan, who said, Life is tough in the shadows. Heck, life is tough all over. Some days you don't even have enough New Year to buy even a bag of Cool Ranch Soritos. But today, life is good. You just got your cyber-eye fixed, and thanks to that, you can see everything clear as day as you crawl through the dusty ventilation system of the Seder Corrupt Office Complex. You're almost at the target. If the hacker does his job right, tomorrow you'll have enough for all the soy you want. 
Maybe even a packet of the coveted taco flavor. If you're lucky. But if he doesn't do his job right, you better pray, backup shows. That cyber troll seems really stupid, even by troll standards. But he works cheap. You make a mental note. Next time. If there is a next time. Don't skimp on the muscle. Well, no use worrying now. You knew the risks when you took the job. After all, that's life as a Shadowrunner. So as you can see, there's some fierce love for Shadowrun. And some fierce love for Grundletaint. Thanks to Tolan, Red Ion, Josh Thompson, and Pestilence, Shadowrun is currently in a close second. And it's only just trailed by Firefly. Currently single-handedly championed by Kaolis. With a very generous, huge donation. In fourth place is Mass Effect. And then rocketing from complete obscurity to a place of prominence, Benjamin Britt has put Mouse Guard in fifth place. He's asked me to dictate it thus. No support for Mouse Guard! Unacceptable! 50 units! Microsoft, if I get one, is history of the Earldom of Lemon Grab! 50 units, Mouse Guard! So, yeah, he boosted Mouse Guard up, and uh, he scored a Microsoft where we're going to be talking about the tragic Earldom of Lemon Grab from Adventure Time. Given that recently they just did a two-part episode delving more into the weird goings-on of that place, uh, I think we'll have plenty to talk about. That's it for the new contributions, but uh, the support drive is far from over. Battle has been intense, and there's still half a month to go. You guys are very close to unlocking the first stretch goal. Outtakes from our X-Files episode with series creator Chris Carter and the team behind the X-Files comic at IDW. And then after that, there's some deleted scenes from the most recent episode of Dungeons & Doritos. Keep on pushing so we play and record the system of your choice and unlock those support perks. You get a whole slew of awesome stuff sent to you in your email just for contributing any dollar amount anyway. Everybody wins. So, taking us out, you guys mentioned Magic earlier, Magic the Gathering. Well, Adam Warrock has just done an EP that is all Magic the Gathering songs. This is from the Planeswalker EP, and it was inspired by, uh, on a recent tour, Tribe One, another nerdcore rapper, taught Adam Warrock how to play Magic. So uh, they got Cahill involved and made a whole album of Magic songs. <laughs> nice to see that that went better than when people were trying to teach Shrun a lot to play it. It's his whole, his whole life. He just like learns new things and makes songs about it. I mean, this is, that's, that's just awesome. It I is. love that guy. Yeah, he's, he's fucking great. Isn't he coming back to Orlando <laughs> yeah. soon? Yeah. That's awesome. Is there a date? May 10th at the Geek Easy. This is So Much Mana by Adam Warrock, Tribe One, and Mikhail Cahill. Mana, 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 mana. Mana! Bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Tony. Bye, I'm Aaron. R.I.P. Channing. Much love. Nah. He rolled a critical failure. <laughs> yeah, check out my decks, yo. Check out my mythic rares. Yeah. When I step in the stone, oh. man, all my dead is there. I know what you're going to do with those. Rolling like raw on top of these. Because they got to make a monstrosity. My devotion to mana is like a potent MC hammer. Can't touch this. Protective sleeves. You can't touch this. Somebody didn't have enough to cast that gun. Let it up.
my belt Dark Richard woman hand is in my neck Spell is fell It's been a long time Making up the flame walkers learn Old school enough to still remember State of mind and burn Sacrifice and burn It's cost to get my nightmare on board Drown you with lightning bolts From a goblin horde Get in focus It ain't no hocus pocus I throw you in the time spiral And rip up your black lotus Capture the light of stars Inside a soul ring Born of the gods Stomping my path like your drowsy Annihilator Eat the source of your power From running the board to nothing less than a whole hour Move like a phantom warrior Devouring cremate Taking over Gate crashing your paper chase Think you got me? You moving too slow I'll show you the true meaning Of some real rapid growth So much man on the Seven cards, you see your hand and know you lost from the start. Cause you got sorceries and instincts and creatures staring back at you. But it doesn't matter to you got mana screwed in while you're overburdened with non pertinent permanence. Let me tell you what I'm working with. I got so much mana, my opponents go bananas. I got guild gates and scrylands and tentacles. And it goes turn one, mana drop, turn two, mana drop, turn three, sealed and carry at it, and I can't be stopped. Mystic elves and carametras, acolyte, cast chromana, core, tapping so much mana, I could cast it twice. The whole battlefield is my sandbox, and there's so much land in my hand, I should plant crops. I'm like a little kid fishing in a wishing well, but I should mulligan, I didn't draw a single spell. Hey you! Thanks for listening to Nerdy Show. We mean that. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show network alive by telling a friend, rating and reviewing us on iTunes, shopping at nerdyshow.com store, or directly donating to the network. Any size contribution gets you exclusive Nerdy Show audio and images and lets you participate in our monthly support drives. Just go to nerdyshow.com support to chip in. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com sponsorships. For more episodes of Nerdy Show, as well as other fine programs, community forums, videos, articles, and more, head over to nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to all Nerdy Show Network podcasts via the iTunes store, and for the latest news, follow us on all your favorite social networks. Just let me roam free like a chicken.